Artemis endeavors to get more women in the field and on the water, to support women as leaders in the conservation movement, to ensure the vitality of our lands, waters, and wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation. Welcome to the Artemis Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Chance, and my guest today is Tina Dawkin. Hey, Tina. Hi, Ashley. How's it going? Oh, it's going wonderful. I'm so glad that you can join me today. I, our, uh, my supervisor, our program manager, has recently left her position, as all of our listeners will know. And so I am going to be flying solo here for a little bit on the podcast. Um, so, Tina, I'm super excited to talk to you today and hear about your background. And I know that you've got a ton of experiences to share with us. So I think we'll be good, just the two of us. I'm excited. Yeah, so maybe to start us off... Um, What's in your freezer? <laughs> it's there's a little bit of venison, a little bit of duck, and a little bit of pheasant. So I am really looking forward to the hunting season because I need to fill my freezer back up. Do you and your husband primarily consume wild game? Like do you not buy very much meat? We we don't because we we like to consume what we what we shoot and what we harvest and so um, we, we just, we, we enjoy what we harvest and there's so many different recipes that we use, um, when we eat. And so it, it, it's fun for us. So we don't need to buy that much meat in the grocery store. So sure. Yeah. yeah. And what a gift that or the is. the farmer's market, I should say, because we like to buy it at the farmer's market too. We'd like to support our local farmers. Absolutely. So I am planning on heading up your way. So you're in Minnesota. Well, are you in Minnesota or South Dakota? We're, right in, now? So we're in South Dakota. Yep. We are okay. in South Dakota. Well, I'm going to be headed up that way, kind of on the border, um, in gosh, about a month and a half. Um, and part of what I'm going to be doing is pheasant hunting. And, you know, I grew up, I pheasant hunted in high school and I've done it just a couple times since then. What can you share your favorite pheasant recipe? Like what's your go-to? Oh, my go-to is definitely called Mexican pheasant. It's got the um, the Campbell's soup. It's got the sour cream, the salsa, all the cheese. I'm from Wisconsin originally, so cheese is my my go-to for everything. I've got to have cheese on everything, and so and then chips um, uh, to go with the whole dish. So and you got to layer the chips on oh. top of this recipe. So it's just such a good casserole, so to speak, when you're having a lot of people over and it's great leftovers. And so that that's my go-to. Wow. That sounds awesome. Yeah. If you want to share the details of that, I would be very grateful. I would love to, for sure. Hopefully I've got some birds to test it out on this fall. I'm confident. Yes. You will get some birds for sure. So can you tell us a little bit about who you are? Yes. Um, well, I am a seventh grade math teacher currently on leave and I love, love, love teaching. And how did I get into the hunting world? Well, it's a funny story, but I grew up with labs and I, I did not grow up hunting. Um, my family never hunted. And so, but we all, we had black and yellow labs. And when I was in Minnesota working um, out of college. I went to, to college at Kansas University. So I went from Green Bay to Kansas University, played golf there, uh, came to Minnesota, had my first job, and um, 
uh, we, I, I ended up getting my chocolate female lab at about mm, mid-20s uh, or a little bit later 20s. And uh, I just, I felt really, really guilty that her parents hunted, but she didn't hunt. So I thought to myself, okay, how can I get her some fun hunting activities so that it kind of looks like it and she can enjoy having that kind of fun. So I thought, all right, I got it. I said, I'll get a, a frozen duck or I'll get a duck from my brother-in-law and I put that duck in my freezer and once a week I would take it out in the field by my townhouse and I would hide it and let her go find it. So I thought, oh yeah, that, that's great. She's having a lot of fun doing that. But then, you know, as a mom, and I don't have any human babies, so as a mom to a fur baby, I'm like, I got to get her more opportunities. So I thought, what's next? And so what I did was I started researching on the internet and I thought, hey, there's some hunting classes that I can take her to and be there and watch her have fun. And that was a two-week course and we had an instructor and, and other participants and, and that was fun. But again, it was short-lived. And so I thought, okay, I've got to find some more stuff because it's just, it's just what a mom does for their children, for their kids. You know, you got to find more fun opportunities. And so I came across Game Fair in Anoka, Minnesota. And Game Fair is everything about hunting, gear, um, guns, uh, land. Um, so everything about hunting. And the coolest thing they have at Game Fair is about 20 different dog events. So I'm like, oh, this is perfect. My dog can be exposed to game. My dog can jump off the dock. Um, and so for me, it was like an ideal situation. And it's six days and two weekends. So I took her Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then the following weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And that was like the best. It was like taking your kid to the state fair. You know, you're just going to bring them around and let them participate in all the events. And and um, and two or three years into that event is where I actually met my husband um, because I was going. The other thing that's really neat about Game Fair is they have seminars to teach your dog anywhere from obedience to hunting. And so I went to every single seminar because I was bound to determine to educate myself on how to train my dog. Okay. And, so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah. interrupt you before yeah. we get to the next chapter because I have two questions. Okay. One, the freezer duck that you mentioned, <laughs> how long yeah. does said duck last? I mean, like every time you take it out, it thaws a little bit. So how did that well, go? Well, it thaws a little bit, but I just put it back in the freezer. So I probably had that thing in my freezer for... Oh my gosh, five or six years. Oh my gosh, wow. Okay. I, because when I, you know, moved down and got married and all that, I mean, I obviously I had to get rid of it at that point because <laughs> my husband had plenty of games to practice hunting with. But um, yeah, so that was that was just something that I did off the cuff, you know, just how can I do this? You know, so that's amazing. Well, okay. I want a hot tip for listeners. You <laughs> a, one duck can take you pretty far in training. Um the other thing you had mentioned game fair and okay. First of all, I didn't realize it was that long. That's a super long, that is like comparable to the state fair. And it sounds like your dog had some degree, some sort of education before going. If you're taking her to this public place and having her, I mean, you had to be like giving her commands and stuff to participate, right? Yes. Yes. And 
For 40, well, first of all, Game Fair has been going on for 41 years, so it's a phenomenal place for education. Um, but I had taken her to, you know, when she's three months of age, you take her to the puppy socialization classes and you take her to the obedience classes. And, and um, so, yes, I had taught her lots of different things. However, when I met my husband, I realized a lot of the things that I did wrong. And so, um, but, but that, you know, that all goes with education. You try as hard as you can. And back then we didn't really have the internet where I could go on and visually watch videos on YouTube. And so that's why I thought participating in some of these classes, um, and, and the class, the two week class that I was in, it was more of a, uh, bird and gun type class where they had an opportunity to, to retrieve game and, you know, they were on a check cord and, and so, um, and there weren't that, I mean, there were maybe a dozen people. So again, it was just another way for me to learn and help educate my daughter, Samantha, and, and, and just help her have fun and be, be a part of, um, be a part of the hunting community. Um, and I mean, there, obviously I, I learned a lot. I just lost my train of thought for a moment, but I learned a lot, but I also learned, you know, after meeting my husband, what I should have done. Oh, my train of thought just came into play. So basically, because I turned her instincts on by using that duck, that's what helped her once Tom got a hold of her at about five or six years of age to train her because I had done that early introduction uh, with her instincts being turned on the game that made it easier for my husband to, you know, make her a, a, a real finished hunting dog. And so, yeah, so that was something that I didn't know I was doing. I was doing it purely because her parents hunted and she did not. And I felt guilty about that. And so that, that's why I did what I did. I thought, Oh, I, I, she can. And I even one time sent her with my neighbor to go hunting. And, and, I, and I, I want to apologize to my neighbor profusely because now what I know, I'm like, oh my gosh, I should have never sent her because she went up to the bird and like, okay, what's this? Like, oh, oh I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that I'm supposed to go on the water and retrieve. Like she didn't know a lot of these things, but you know, you kind of just, you're guessing. And again, yeah. you didn't, you don't have, I didn't have the material. I didn't have the, the ability to go online and, and look at this. And so Game Fair really really put me into that position um, on learning more about it and and getting back, if you're okay, I'll just go back to that part of it where I was yeah, going well, to, I'll, go ahead. I had one other question. So yes. you talked about taking her to this, it sounds amazing, a two-week course on like gun dog training. Were you, were there other women there or were you kind of- You know, a, I don't remember, um, don't remember- um, they're probably actually the instructor was a woman. Okay. So yeah. So I don't remember about the other people who I was surrounded by. It was such a long time ago. Sure. Um, but well, I was I was curious what it felt like to be a part of a, a course like that at a time when you yourself didn't really identify as a hunter. Yeah, you know what? I'm just a person that just takes everything in. And if I can learn something, I don't care who it's from or, or what the situation is, or if I'm the only woman there, I'm, I'm a person that's just going to ask questions. 
And no question is a dumb question, especially, you know, as a teacher, I, I want everybody to not feel intimidated to be able to ask questions. I mean, I used to walk around to my students and look at their work, their math work, and say, that's the best mistake I've ever seen. How did you make that? And they would be like, what do you mean that's a good mistake? And I said, you're thinking like, I love that mistake because now it allows me to go, okay, I want to get in your head. How did you come up with it? And, and your mistakes helped me to become a better teacher because now I have to come up with a different way to teach this topic because of that mistake. So this, so it's great. And then before you know it, I'd have students raising their hand in my class like, oh, come see the mistake I made. Come see the mistake I made. And that's the environment I, I try to create as a teacher, as a gun instructor. I, I want I want people to feel open and I want them to be able to, I want to be approachable to the point where they feel comfortable asking me, how do you do this? Or I don't understand what you just said. Or and it's my job as a teacher, if you don't understand it, that's my fault. I need to create a way for you to understand it. And and I don't care when you get it, I just care that you get it. So if that means me spending more time with you to do that, I will do that. I mean, that's when I coach golf too. I did the same thing. It's like, I, I know I need to spend more time with this person, but that's, that's just who I am. And, and, and I believe in if somebody needs, it's like the dog training, you know, I train with my husband every day and I see when dogs move slower and he has to back up and go back to the very beginning or some dogs move faster. So then you can progress the training a little bit faster for them. But, you know, Tom, Tom always said, you know, I live in a democracy. He lives in a dictatorship <laughs> um, because, you know, you've got personalities, but uh, you know, there are times when I had dogs or uh, people talking, students talking back to me, but, but he doesn't have that in his, he just has to work with their personality as did I and figure out a way to make a difference in their life and in their training and in their understanding. Wow, that I wish you were my math teacher in seventh grade <laughs> and beyond. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Um, wow, okay. And it seems like you kind of have this theme, you know, whether it be golf or your profession as an educator, um, or even, you know, instinctively wanting to provide your dog with these experiences. It seems like you are a natural born teacher. Well, it took me a while to figure out that that's what I wanted to do because I was in sales for the first 11 years and, and I was coaching my cousin's basketball team on the side. And I thought, you know, I really like this age and I really like teaching. So that's when I went back and got my teaching license in the math world and um, started teaching. So yes, it's, it's definitely something that I love. And I think I love it the most is because I was a struggling student. And I know what it's like to not get something. And I know what it's like when the teacher asks a question and the student next to me raises her hand instantly and I'm still processing the question. And mm -hmm. I'm thinking to myself, oh, I must be stupid because I didn't raise my hand right away and I don't get it. And it was, you know, later on in my teaching years that I, that I found out that, no, I process visually, not verbally. So if somebody is saying something verbally, I'm picturing every single word. And then at the end of the sentence, I'm processing all the words together. And then I can process the question and then I can come up with the answer. And, you know, I say that story to my students all the time. And I said, has anybody had that experience where 
somebody raises their hand instantly and you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not very smart. And, and 90% of them will raise their hand. Yeah. And I said, it's, it's not because you don't get something. It's just that I don't, I never allowed anybody to raise their hand in my class. I don't want that visual of people seeing that. I would say, think about this for a moment. And then I would say, okay, everybody, I want to hear your thoughts out loud, all at once, ready, go. And they'd all say their thoughts. Nobody knew who gave the wrong answer, but I, I knew what the answers were going to be. And, but it took away the, oh, I got the wrong answer feeling because nobody knew who said it, you know? So, but it gave me an opportunity to go, okay, where's everybody at? What's everybody thinking? And, and then I knew where to move from there, but you got to gauge where everybody's at. You got to gauge where the dog's at, the puppy's at, the human being's at, the student's at before you can move forward with what you want to try to teach them. Sure. Wow. That makes sense. And I feel like maybe some middle ground between art and science there, that experience really helps to inform. It really does. I mean, it's, it's, that's a difficult thing, especially in a classroom uh, where those teachers are, are having to have 30 students in a classroom and you're trying to meet everybody's needs from a speed standpoint, from a, you know, how quickly can you get it standpoint. So it's a challenging position for sure. Yeah. Well, let's go back to, you had brought us to Game Fair, the, the sixth, was it the sixth or seventh year that you'd been going? Yeah, well, it was, yeah, and I don't know how many years before I met my husband, but um, I had been going to all these seminars to, again, try to learn for Samantha, and um, and I, I take advantage, like, I always hang out after the fact, and I try to pick the brain of the, of the instructor, you know, that's kind of my MO, so I can go a little bit deeper and more detailed, and the one instructor, you know, remembered me, and so later on in the day, um, I was sitting at a hay bale with my dog eating an ice cream cone and two hay bales away was my husband <laughs> and this instructor came up and he started talking to my husband. Then he noticed me from asking him all those questions and he kind of started kidding with me and he's like, yeah, chocolate labs are just not very good. And then, so I just went back and forth, just, you know, having a little bit of fun. And before you know it, we're all talking and then all of Tom's friends are all surrounding me. And we, um, I got, that's where, how I got to know Tom. And the funny story about it is I'm talking with all his friends. Tom had to go back to his booth. He's coming back to me from a distance. And my dog is at the end of her leash, jumping up and down. I said, what are you doing? You don't even like men. Why are you so excited about this guy coming at you right now? And she, I say this to this day, she had my husband picked out before I even knew. <laughs> and so my dog we, did too, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I mean, they know they have a sixth sense. They just know. And we traded, um, we traded cards and our deal was, I'm going to give you golf lessons and you're going to give my dog hunting lessons. And he says to this day that his golf game never got better, but my dog was like the best hunting dog trained in the world. And I'm like, yeah, and you didn't practice. You didn't practice on the range or you didn't practice your golf, but I did every single drill you told me to do with my dog. <laughs> so we, we argue, we kiddingly have fun and argue about that, but it's, 
it's, uh, you know, how golf is just challenging in and of itself. You got to practice. But so that's how it all got started. And he actually took me under his wing. He had me shoot my first shotgun um, down at his kennels. And um, uh, he owns Oak Ridge Kennels down in Northfield, Minnesota. And we put a clay pigeon on on a pole. And we stood, I don't know what the distance was, 30, 20 yards away, 30 yards away. And I hit like 10 out of 10 clays. And I'm, I said to him, like, wow, I'm really good at this game. Like that one bullet just hits that target every time. <laughs> and I'm, uh, and Tom's like, ah, uh, yeah, I don't need to burst your bubble here. But really, it's a spread of BBs. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so that was kind of like my first introduction to a shotgun. And then he did the first or then the smartest thing he could have done is he hired a friend of his that knew a lot about shooting guns, shotguns. So he hired um, this individual, um, Chuck Ross, out of uh, Pierce, South Dakota, to to train me how to, or to teach me how to shoot a gun. And that was like the best lesson I ever had. And to this day, that is what I use when I'm teaching um, women or new, or men, um, new shotgun shooters. Okay, so... I don't know if it was last weekend or the week before we, my husband and I, and one of his friends and our 15 month old daughter went to the range, a sporting clay range and shot clays. And it was embarrassing <laughs> of clays collectively that we all hit. Um, but Charlie did really well. We got her earmuffs and I was concerned because we're going to try to take her hunting with us. And I was worried about whether she would wear them or not. Um, but she ended up doing really good getting on the golf cart, right when we put them on her head helped a lot because then oh, yeah. she was positive you know, like, reinforcement. Yeah. There you excited go. About moving, yep. But, um, but anyway, I really, I, I need to take a shooting lesson. I've never taken a lesson, um, with about shooting a shotgun and you know, I've, I've harvested a good number of birds, but, uh, I know that I could be better and I would love to hear, you know, maybe just like three or four of the high points um, of things to keep in mind when you're shooting a shotgun. Sure. Um, What he did with me in his lodge was so simple. Well, first of all, you got to test your eye dominance. And um, I'll try to give you the visual. I know a lot of people use the triangle method, but for, for, for ease of explanation verbally, um, for me, I love this way. And it's all, it's all about taking your index finger on your right hand. And if you could like find something in your room right away, right now, and then point at, like I'm pointing at a light fixture right now with my right index finger. Mm-hmm. And so when I close my right eye, my finger jumps off of that object. When I close my left eye, the finger stays right on the object. So again, when I close my right eye and my finger jumps off the object, that means your right eye dominant, which is what I am. Mm. Um, Some people actually have both, um, but that's a whole nother thing. So that was the first thing he tested tested me with. And then what he made me do is he made me look at different things in the lodge and just point at it. So find it with your eyes, and point at it with your index finger. And he made me do that about 20 to 50 times. And his whole point of that is, Tina, you don't look at the end of your finger 
and then move while you're looking at the end of your finger, move that finger to the spot you want to point. You don't do that. Your eyes naturally find the object first and then you point at it. And so when I am holding a gun, a shotgun, I automatically put my index finger down the barrel of the gun because when that clay target comes out, I'm going to find it with my eyes first. Then I'm going to point at it. And the gun is just an extension of your finger. So your eyes find it. You automatically naturally will point at it with your finger, which is the gun. And then you shoot. Now that that's, you know, step one, as far as simplicity. Um, now we got to talk about your stance and, and your mounting and, and your stance. Um, you really need to get about 60 to 70 to 80% of your weight on your left foot. So I was at an event this weekend. Um, there were about 12 women who were fairly new to shooting shotguns. And, um, one of the instructors, I, you know, I always learn, I love taking, or I love watching other instructors cause you pick things up. So they start out with just your feet shoulder width apart. And then they move, like if you're right eye dominant, move your right foot, just turn it out a little bit and then step forward with your left foot. And, and then you're going to want to, your, your waist from your waist up, you're not going to have a straight spine in your stance. So your spine needs to be bent over in almost a 45 degree angle um, to where you feel like your weight is the majority of your weight. I say the majority, but it's about 60, 70% of your weight is on your left foot. And so that's a really important stance because it keeps you, when you shoot the gun, it keeps you from going backwards. So if you were standing straight up and, and somebody like punched you in front of the face, you're going to fall backwards. But if you are in a position where you're more forward, your weight's forward, you're, you're not going to be able to take that hit, so to speak, as harshly, you're not going to fall back. The other part of it, um, and that's a really common thing that people do when they first start out shooting, because what they're doing is they're following the clay, and then, then all of a sudden, they're standing up out of their spine. They're making their spine straight to stand up and look at the clay. And that's mm. where they, that's where they take their weight off of their left foot. And so you almost got to get in that position. And so what he did in the lodge with me is he literally got me in that position. And then I turned around, looked and point, turn around, looked and point, look, turn around, look and point. This is all muscle memory that you can establish before you even shoot a gun. So the more you can establish muscle memory ahead of time, the less things you have to think about once you start to shoot the gun. And that was his whole theory about getting me to do that in the lodge. So I, another 50, 100 times, I was repping. I was in my stance, and I was looking, pointing, looking, pointing, looking, pointing. And then he pretended, now with my in my stance, pretend like you have a shotgun in your hand, um, and, and the biggest thing about the shotgun, so your right hand, your right hand, you, you almost, and it doesn't matter how you put it on, but what I want you guys to do is like maybe take your three middle fingers and make a squish happen between your cheek and your jawbone, push that in. And, and that's how tight your gun should be against your cheek. Mm. 
And people, this is where people get in trouble, and I've gotten in trouble too. Like if I was wearing a hat that I couldn't really see the target, I, this happened to me this summer. I'd like all of a sudden lift my my head up to see the target because the bill was in my way, and then I took my cheek off of it, and then bam, that's where you get the recoil on your shoulder, you get the recoil on your cheek. So the biggest thing is when you put that gun up against your cheek, that you want to like press in so that the top part of your cheek kind of gets a little bit of roundness to it, but you're pushing in the, the squishy part. So he had, so he had me put, he put the gun then in my hand and in my stance and with my index finger pointed down the side of the barrel, he had me put that gun in that squishy part. He didn't talk about shouldering at this point. So if you naturally, and this is, this is, um, this is what works for me and this is what's worked for a lot of my students, but bringing the gun straight up to your cheek because you don't want them leaning their head back or forth. So shooting a shotgun, bring it straight up to your cheek. So he had me bring it, you know, straight up to my cheek. And then all I did for another 20 to 30 more reps, look and point, look and point, staying in my stance. I've got the gun as tight as I can against my cheek. And so he made that made me do that about 20, 20 times. And then we went, finally went out to the range and my husband's watching all of this. And uh, so I get in position at this point in time, since this is my first time shooting a gun, he had me pre-mounted. So to get in that, you know, cheek position and, um, and stance and everything's correct. And I shot two boxes of shells. He didn't say a word. And Tom said, why didn't you help her? Why didn't you say anything? And he said, because she needed to get over the fact that this gun was not going to blast her cheek, you know, and, and yeah. he was right. All I could think about was, this is going to kick, this is going to hurt. And that is pretty common for women to tell me, yep, that's what I was thinking first. And so, so once I shot two boxes, I'm like, well, this is not hurting at all. So another analogy I like to use, if you take your right fist and you put it right up against your cheek and you try to hit me, you're not going to have any impact because you're starting at my cheek. Yeah. But if you take your fist out a distance and wind up and then hit my cheek, that's going to hurt. So that's why it's so important to keep that right against your cheek. And I don't talk about shouldering at this point in time because I notice that when I bring the gun straight up to my cheek, it kind of shoulders naturally, but that's also if the gun fits you properly as well. So, um, so from the butt of the gun to where the trigger is, that's called the length of pull. So a quick way to test, like if somebody just hands you your gun, hands a gun and say, Hey, try my gun out, which I've had several people do. This is just a quick way to, to determine part of the fit. If this is a somewhat of a good fit for you. And that's just like, I'll try to give this visual. So put your, put your, um, right arm, I guess, put it straight down by your side, but then lift it up, lift your forearm. So you've got an L shape on your right arm. Uh -huh. So, and then you put the butt of your gun in the crease of your elbow and then the shotgun straight up. So then you're going to see if your finger reaches the trigger or not. And so it's kind of hard to explain it verbally, but that's a really good way um, just you know, that's one of the ways, I mean, there's more, you, you still have to do more to fit that gun, 
but in working with you know gunsmiths that I've worked with, that's a quick way to tell if it's a close fit for you or not. And um, wait, so you're I'm trying to do this as you're saying. Yeah, I know. So let me try to think of another way to explain it. Um, uh, okay, so let's sh show your right muscle. Just show your like pretend like you're flexing your right bicep. Got it. Okay. Now put the gun, the bottom of the gun, the butt of the gun, in that crease where your elbow is. Okay, I'm following. Okay. And then the, the shotgun's going to go straight up. And then does your finger reach that trigger? Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So that is, you know, that's part of the fit. And that's a quick way to determine if this fit is pretty good for you. Because I, I remember, um, this happened to me two summers ago, a friend of mine said, hey, try my new gun, it's wonderful. So I didn't think about doing that at the time. And then I yelled, pull, and the gun hit my chest because it was too long. It, it ended up, I ended up shooting it from my bicep. I hit the clay. Why did I hit the clay? I hit the clay because my eyes found it. My index finger was pointing at it. And then I shot it. So, you know, you see all those trick shooters, you know, at these events. Well, yeah. that's how they do it. They've got good hand-eye coordination. But they didn't have it mounted at your cheek, you know. So it, it's, it's, that's, that tells me the importance of finding with your eyes, point at it, and shoot it. And so, again, that's just a quick way to tell. But um, after he worked, my, uh, Chuck worked with me on that, and, and I shot the two boxes of shells, and then I got over this is not going to kick. Then he was able to give me instruction, um, and he actually got me shooting 19 out of 25 in my first try. Oh, my gosh. Now, now those are straightaway shots. So I always recommend when somebody starts new, you want to get right behind the machine, and you want this to be a straight out-of-the-machine shot out of the clay pigeon thrower. And so that's how you should start shooting um, when you talk about, you know, you guys didn't do that great or whatever when you were there this weekend, it, if, if I were to get good at something, at shooting, I would start behind the clay pigeon thrower and I'd build my confidence there. Then I'd take one step to the right and shoot from there and build my confidence there. And when I feel confident, then I take another step to the right and then another step to the right. And that's how you gradually increase your shooting ability and work on different shots. And, you know, hunting is so much different than clay pigeon, than, than sporting clays, than skeet. I mean, it's so different because I don't mount, like when I practice behind the clay pigeon thrower, I don't pre-mount. Because why? Because I hunt. So I do a yeah. three-quarters mount, bring it up to my chest, pull, and then I bring it up to my cheek. Because yeah. you're not going to walk, obviously, walk around the field with your <laughs> gun at your cheek, you know. Yeah. Or, or in the sit in the duck blind. So that was a lot of information. Hopefully, it wasn't too terribly <laughs> detailed. That was amazing. I'm I am going to listen back to this, write all that down, and <laughs> practice it thoroughly um, before we head out in October, <laughs> um, because that was that was excellent. One thing that came to my mind as we were going through that exercise, I know I already knew that I was cross dominant. I'm left eye, right hand dominant. Um, and I have heard from some other folks that that's more common for women than men maybe. And I just didn't know if, if you found that to be the case and how your approach might be different for those people. 
So left eye dominant and you shoot right handed. I believe you put tape on your left eye because you want your right eye to be focused on the target because your right eye is over the gun. Yeah. So we watched a couple women have to struggle with that this weekend. And that's, that's how they did that. And I was amazed um, that some people, it changes over the years. So you mm. want to almost test that every year as okay. well. Yeah, that's good info. Recently, I was talking to somebody about that uh, pertaining to archery, same issue. Um, and that was, yeah, that was some of the advice was just, just close that eye and force dominance to your. Yes. Yes. And put, put the tape, whatever, you know, make it blurry on the, on your glasses on the left side, just put some, you know, tape, scotch tape or what have you, but yeah, to, to block that eye out from dominating. Yeah. So Tina, we've talked a lot about shotguns. I'm curious because it took me a long time to find a gun that I liked and that fit me. What kind of gun do you shoot? I shoot the Franke gun. Um, I call it the Franke family because they're all about the Franke family hunt. Let's make this hunt about the family. Um, let's make uh, guns that fit women. And they have what's called the catalyst line. And the catalyst line, those are guns made for women because we tend to have longer necks. So they adjust the cone. They make it a little bit higher for our longer necks. And so, mm. um, so for me... Being able to, like this weekend, we did a women's beginner women sh- um, learn how to shoot a gun was part of it. And when they had a chance and an opportunity to shoot the Catalyst line, it was like a no-brainer. This this fits me, and I love this gun. And you don't get to go into a gun shop and say, hey, can I try your guns out? And so it gave me a chance to get all my Franke guns out and have them shoot it. And and also, I do have a few, like, Franke Affinity 3 is, is not, it's a man's gun, but I still have it cut down, which fits the stock cut down, which yeah. fits the majority of the women. So, um, I, I've been shooting Franke, and this was before I became um, a pro staffer for them, but I shot it before that. Mm, it's probably going on about 9, 10 years, and I love it. And I love the fact that they actually created a gun line for women. So that's yeah. the catalyst line and they have an over under and they have an automatic. So, uh, semi-automatic. So yes, I hopefully, hopefully your listeners will check it out and, um, yeah. And change to that, shoot those. That's amazing. I mean, I feel like I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I was shooting a shotgun for a lot of years that did not fit me. And, unbeknownst to myself um and then luckily our neighbor when we lived in mississippi that we duck hunted with all the time he was a super short guy um and he shot a gun that had a compact stock and i was in this huge shooting slump i was missing everything i mean i even tried to water swat this duck and in front of everybody just <laughs> just didn't i mean the water shot that up and happened. the duck flew away yeah yeah um and he gave me his gun and i i swear i hit every bird on that hunt yeah. And, and so then I went and bought the same exact gun with a compact stock and it's, it's made a world of difference. So I, I think there's a lot to be said, um, for, you know, the tool that fits your anatomy, you know, whether you're man, woman, or child, not super relevant, but to make sure that what you're using actually truly fits you. Absolutely. You're hundred percent. And the compact is definitely fits a lot of women because it's, it's a shorter stock and, 
And everybody's, like you said, everybody's different. And um, yeah, but I just love the fact that they actually created a line for women because you don't hear that very often in the hunting world. And it, it is hard, you know, even clothing. I mean, yeah. that that's hard oh, yeah. too because there aren't a lot of women compared to men that hunt. So when they design clothing, you know, they got to design it to try to fit a lot of different sizes and and put out put out a lot of different sizes and that's hard to do because of the pricing of of getting the buying the quantity to to give the option to a lot of different women but but that's why i love this this gun you know and and even for even for children you know learning how to shoot a gun i mean they probably could fit with some of these women because they're shorter socks so right. yeah so i love the fact that frankie did that and um and they're all about the family hunt. So that's why I love being a part of the Frankie family. So thanks for asking. Yeah, very cool. Very interesting. All right, we are going to take a quick break to hear from one of our partners. For 125 years, Rio has made shot shells for hunting, sport, and defense using their own premium components. Top shooters like three gunner Rihanna Kadic champion clay shooter Tina Jewell and outdoors woman Taylor Garcia trust Rio to give them the edge on the range and in the field. A full line of target loads like Star Team Evo, hunting cartridges like the popular Texas game load, plus an array of buck and slugs. Now Rio is proud to introduce their Pro Eco biodegradable wad to help keep plastics out of the environment. Visit RioAmmo.com for a complete line of 12 and sub-gauge products for your favorite game. That's R-I-O-A-M-M-O dot com. In South Dakota, hunting is our shared legacy, something everyone can be a part of. That's why we're focused on making our fields a welcome place for everyone. See how at huntthegreatestsd.com, where you can hear stories from sportswomen and learn what makes South Dakota the world's pheasant capital. While you're there, check out public land maps, hunting blogs, and season information for one unforgettable fall. Learn more at huntthegreatestsd.com. And we're back. Uh, So, Tina, awesome information before the break. I think you talked a lot about how Samantha, your dog, brought you to hunting as a whole. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like as you find yourself today, you would identify most as a waterfowl hunter. Actually, um, pheasant and waterfowl, both, okay. both. I love them both. And I do an equal amount of both. Very cool. And I would say archery. Um, I'm a bow hunter. Um, I don't do as much. My, that's my husband's passion, but I love, I love going out in the field with the dogs. I mean, they're, the, they're the ones that drove me out into the hunting world. Gotcha. Well, I know, um, I really like waterfowl hunting. I'm also very interested in upland hunting. I don't have as much experience with it, um, partially because of the place where we live. It's just, it's not super conducive. Um, we're talking about trying to take more advantage of woodcock season here though. Mm -hmm. Um, because we do have woodcock that migrate through. So I would love to hear about, I don't know, I guess, whatever you want to talk about relative to your experience duck hunting or even upland hunting, I was going to ask you kind of, you know, about your beginnings, but you spoke so beautifully about how you got brought to hunting in general that 
but but I the journey that I took into the hunting world, I mean, that's that were those were all the beginnings. But now I had to actually go in a hunt. And that's where um I went into it fast and furious. And so for beginner hunters, I would definitely do it different than what I did it. So I'll give you some fun stories. You know, we went Tom, Tom would take me pheasant hunting and the key for a beginner and getting into it is to really just go with a mentor and then somebody who handles a dog. And that way there's not much to think about. However, let's back up a little bit more. Go on a pheasant hunt where you're with a mentor, their dog, but you don't have a gun in your hand. And you just walk and watch the dog work, watch them flush, watch the shooter, watch how they handle the dog, watch the terrain that they're hunting in, so, and, and watch where the pheasants are getting up. Cattail slough, CRP, because it's warm. Cattail slough, because it's cold. So I would say, go watch first without a gun. It's fun watching the dog work. It's, it's a blast. Then go and, and practice mounting like you have a gun in your hand. So when that pheasant gets up, pretend like you're going to shoot it. Mm-hmm. And then go out another time, a couple of times, with, a, with an empty gun in your hand. And you, then you get a feel for what it feels like to carry the gun around. You're still watching everything. And now you're going to point at the pheasant that gets up, but you're not shooting. And so I got into it like, I'm going on my first hunt. And the funniest story was when all of a sudden my husband yells out, rooster. And I go, don't ever yell that again. You scared the crap out of me <laughs> because I had no idea that was protocol. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I just jumped out of my skin practically because I'm really focused and I'm trying to watch the dog and I've got a loaded gun. And, and so that just kind of stunned me. And, and you kind of go through, um, as a hunter, you go through phases in your hunting life. So my first phase was, and I'm pretty competitive. So when I couldn't hit the broad side of the barn, there were many moments when I said to my husband, you might as well take my dog because I need her to get some birds and she's not getting any. (laughs) And then you go through the phase of, you know, my husband asked me, don't you just enjoy going out for a nice walk and, and taking it all in and looking around and watching the dog and not getting your limit. And I said, no, I need to get my limit. My dog (laughs) needs to get these birds. Are you kidding me? And that's only three. So I I went through that phase and I would say in the last mm, four or five years, I understand what he's talking about now. I'm watching my dog work and she's wagging her tail, whether she gets a bird up or not, she's trailing, she gets a hen up. She's so excited. Like, and now I'm finally getting the point of, no, I don't have to shoot every rooster that gets up. <laughs> and so that's been, you know, so like I said, you you go through these phases where you don't have to shoot everything, but it's all about who you're with, the environment, the dog, seeing their excitement, you know, going to pet your dog and then not wanting you to pet them because they're focused and the duck's <laughs> coming in and don't pet me. I'm, I'm trying to watch, you know, so... You just laugh about those things. And, and, and for me, I'm finally at that stage where it's about the experience of going out. And, you know, hunting, yeah, it's every time you go out on a hunt. I mean, I feel like nobody's really an expert because 
does a bird get up the same time every time? No. Mm-hmm. We can put this beautiful spread out in the water. Did the ducks fly the way they want us to? No. So that's the best part about hunting because every hunting experience is something different and it might not work the way you want it to, but you kind of inhale it and take it all in and just enjoy every aspect of the hunt. So I'm at that spot now and I'm enjoying the pheasant hunting is a blast. I, I tend to, on our property, tend to take out, you know, two or three dogs because I know I know that there's no roads close by. Um, another fun, and and some, and now I'm at a point now where I don't even want my husband to come along. I want to go by myself. I don't want to have to worry about somebody, you know, to the right of me, to the left of me. I can just focus on my dogs, and it's the best thing ever. I mean, I remember one time I went out late season, and I brought my two chocolate labs. It was Samantha, no, it was Sage and Sassy, and Sage was my older dog at the time, and she went to the right, and she went down, and my younger dog, Sassy, went up, and I'm going, okay, which dog do I follow? (laughs) And so I thought, all right, I'm going to go with the young dog because it doesn't look like there's any cover down there. It looks like it's just a bunch of snow. So I followed Sassy, and, of course, Sage is the one that gets up the rooster, the one I can follow. And then all of a sudden my phone's ringing, my husband's calling me, I'm like, why are you calling me? You know, I'm hunting. So I, I say, hello. And he goes, you didn't believe her, did you? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, are you scoping me? So he was back in the Four Seasons porch with a scope and he was watching me hunt. Oh and gosh. we just got a good laugh at that one. But that's the beauty of hunting by yourself. You get to follow your own dog and they might not take you in this straight line that you have to go in when you're hunting with a bunch of people, but oh my gosh, they know where the birds are and, and you really have to trust, you know, them Yeah. and, and you really gain that trust over the years. I'm believing where they're going, you know, and going rogue. I love going rogue with my dog because she takes me she takes me to the birds. Gosh, this is reminding me of, uh, I don't know, I guess it was last year, maybe the year before we had gone back up North to Minnesota to visit uh, my family for Christmas. And it was like the last, we were going to leave that morning. It was mm-hmm. like eight fifty-seven, and you know, you can start shooting at nine and we're packing up the trunk of the car and a rooster runs across the driveway down into, <laughs> into the slough. And so my husband looks at me, he's like, let's go, let's go for it. So we go, you know, get our orange, get our guns and we head out there and we have our Springer Spaniel with us. He was young. I think he was two or three at the time and he had never been on an upland bird prior to that just duck hunting. And so we go, we take him down in the slough. He's sniffing around doing whatever he flushes a rooster. Well, I, I, I think I couldn't get a shot because my husband was there and my husband winged him and he goes down. Okay. Goes back down. There's, you know, snow everywhere, cattail slew. And we, he sends the dog back in after where the rooster went down and Kiker just keeps coming out. He keeps coming back at us. And my husband is getting so frustrated and he keeps sending him in, keeps sending him in there and you know, nothing. Kiker's coming back with nothing. And it gets to the point where I got so mad at my husband and the way he was talking to the dog that I was like, I'm done. I'm going back up to the house. This is over. This is so stupid. I'm not going to participate in this. 
So, so he they, was trying to send the dog back in where he thought the rooster went. Yeah, where the bird went down after yeah. like, he winged yeah. it and, you he know, it floated it, down. Yeah. Right. And so he kept th- sending back in there and Kiker just kept coming back out like what, there's no bird. And it just got kind of ugly. And so I was like, I'm out. I'm done. And I started walking back to the house and there was this trail that in the summer is mowed because my stepmom's sister lives right next door so they'll just walk back and forth to each other's house mm-hmm. and so in the winter it's through the kind of through the middle of a cattail so there's this mowed path that you know is snow a couple inches deep and as yep. i'm walking the path i see bloody rooster prints oh <laughs> and i was like oh my god it's over here <laughs> it's like call him over and so my husband comes over and he's kicking himself of course because he was just such a jerk to the dog and he puts him on the we put him on the trail and he takes us right to him and of course he was he was nowhere near you know rooster they run pheasants run they run like you wouldn't believe i mean it's it you're right you could tell numerous stories about you know one dog and i are digging in the snow trying thinking that it buried itself and then my husband's yelling Sage has it. And I look up a 200 yards away and there she is coming over the hill. I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah so that... you're right. It's, you got to trust the dog and, and, and move around. I mean, do go in a big radius, you know, don't just stay where sometimes they just can't pick up the scent, like right at that location. Mm-hmm. But I know what you're saying. It's, it can be, you just gotta, it, it's hard. It's a hard one. They're running. That is hard. Yeah. Snow, snow definitely makes it easier because of the tracks, but it also can make it more difficult because if they bury themselves, which they've done, you know, and hopefully their tail's sticking out, but right. they can't get a scent then. So yeah, he, he ended up trailing it to, it, it was a very curvy track. And then finally it was like up under a stump. Did he, he get it? Oh yeah. He pulled it out. It was oh, still alive. He pulled it out. And, yeah. and that was his first, yeah, his first pheasant. So that was That's a big the deal. Fun part. Awesome. It was, it was a good lesson learned for sure. So speaking of lessons learned, can I mean that was a great lesson, trust the dog, but can you tell us about a hunt where you feel like you learned the most or learned something really significant? Oh my gosh, you know, I I learn something every hunt. And so it's hard for me to come up with that that one story. I mean, like I just gave you one of the stories where you know, here we are digging in the snow because we saw the imprint of where they landed and we just thought that they were under the snow. Um, I think a lot of what I learn um, in December when we're hunting in pheasants is, is I I find like during the day, they're out traveling in the day. A lot of people want to hunt the sloughs. I feel like when it's really cold and really windy, that's where they're tucking themselves you know, into the cattail sloughs, um, for the most part. Um, oh, you know, things that my husband's really taught me on, on pheasant hunting late season, especially is when you walk through those snowy cattail sloughs, if you stop, like most people want to go through and think that just pushing through it hard will get those pheasants out of there. But mm-hmm. my husband taught me, and and he and I learned it quite a, quite a few times when I've been through sloughs. Now is, I stop every like five yards or ten yards, and because what happens is the pheasant thinks that you are on to them, because you're in a stopped position, mm. and so 
I learned that from him and that was really helpful because, um, I mean, how many times do you go through a slew and then they get up behind you? Oh, like, how yeah. did I miss that? And I had three dogs in here. So <laughs> slowing down because then the dogs are working fast to a certain degree too. And it's snowy, so they're not picking up the scent as, as well. Um, um, and then the but, bird, the bird's more inclined to flush if they think that, you know, Oh yeah. If they yeah. think, you know, that if you're standing there and not moving, they think, Oh, they're on to me. So then they flush. Um, the other thing is really focusing on which way is the wind blowing, um, and trying to cover that area, get on the furthest, let's say furthest left side, if the wind is blowing from the right. And gotcha. so stay on that far left side because most likely the dog will pick up the scent. Mm, that's, um, that's wisdom right there because I'm still yeah. in the mode where I'm like, where's cover? Let's get all, let's cover all the cover, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's just learning because the dogs, you know, and I'm sure you've seen this with your dog, but the dog like will go and they're in, you know, they're, they're going to, or into the wind. I mean, you've got them so that the wind is blowing towards them. And all of a sudden they do like a 360 turn and you're like, Oh yeah, they're, the, they're ready. And, and there are times too, when, you know, it depends on how you like to hunt. You know, my husband likes to hunt nice and slow and keep the dogs close. And we use tone so that we're not blowing the whistle constantly or yelling our dog's names. We like to hunt completely quiet with no sounds because they hear you coming. Mm -hmm. um, but I lost my train of thought regarding, um, regarding that. The wind and. Oh um, yeah. The wind and, and when it's, when it's coming and we're walking. Um, and I did, I totally lost my train of thought, but it will, it will come back to me as we, we keep talking. But as far as learning goes, um, and I would say just the wind is a key thing for me because, um, if I have the ability to just hunt by myself and, um, and I can move further left because of the wind blowing, um, the other thing, things you want to keep in mind, uh, if you're hunting near lakes or ponds, you want to make sure, you know, if they're not frozen, you want to stay as far away as you can from them, um, because, if, if, a, if you hit a pheasant and they end up on ice, that's not stable. You mm -hmm. know, you want to make sure, you know, another thing I learned too is, um, I came across on our own property. I came across a buck in a snare oh my that, gosh. Was, that was dead. And wow. I thought to myself, wow, what if that was my dog? So I took the snare, went to the hardware store, and I said, give me something that can clip this snare because I'm going to put that in my backpack. Yeah, that's so, actually our program manager who is gone now. Her dog got caught in a snare off of a hiking trail just this summer. Oh, geez. Yeah, see, and that's – I want to be prepared for for every situation. And I am big on the model. This is my model. You never know. Mm -hmm. and, and people laugh at me all the time because like we, you know, in the previous years we went to Canada and everybody's laughing at me because I brought my winter jacket and my winter hat. And then before you know it, they were all borrowing my stuff. <laughs> and, and I bring everything because you never know what you're going to come across, you know? And, and my husband laughs at me because I will carry literally two boxes of shells. 
And I said, you never know when your shot's going to be off. I'm with you. hundred yeah. percent with you. Yes. And I, I like the workout. So for me, <laughs> it, it provides me additional weight to get my workout in, but it never fails. If I don't bring enough shells, um, then game over, you know, yeah. I, I'm going to miss and then I'm not going to have enough shells and I have to borrow from my husband who only carries eight, you know, so, and a single shot. So I haven't got to that point yet. Um, but in practicing mounting, when you're out there walking too, my husband made me do that all the time when I was in the pheasant field, like every five yards, stop and mount every five yards, stop and mount. And, 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 and then the turnaround shot, you know, like practice where if a bird flies over your head, the barrel goes straight up, you turn completely around and then you shoot the bird. You don't swing that barrel all the way around. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. That, that's, that's key too. Um, and, and carrying the, you know, if you're with somebody else, you know, I'm a big believer in just carrying that gun straight in front of me with both hands. Um, yeah. I've hunted with people that even though a, a correct carry is to put it over your shoulder, I've hunted with people who are shorter than me. And then when they turn around to talk to somebody yep. else, that barrel's like, you know, okay. But you know, one thing I, I just, something popped into my brain. This is kind of a, it's, it's a, a story that we talk about all the time is when I go hunting with uh, my husband and his friends, um, in the duck blind or what have you, or even in the pheasant field or even dog training, I always, and my husband taught me this. I always, when we're done training or hunting, I show them my empty gun. I don't say it. I want them. I don't want them to believe me. I want them to look in my gun and see that it's empty. Yeah. And it, and it's something that Tom and I do all the time. And it got to a point where actually his friends started doing it. Um, because I, I, I'd go up to them and I'd show them my gun and they thought I was handing my gun to them so (laughs) they could carry my gun back. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure I can hold my gun. I'm very capable of this gun. It's not that heavy. Um, but now they're kind of in the routine of doing that too, as well, because you don't, that. you don't, you don't ever know. And I don't want you to believe me because so many things happen in the duck line and the pheasant field. And, and, and you, and he also taught me now, now I'm getting on a roll for you, Ashley, but he also <laughs> taught me never, never let that gun out of your hands. And I was hunting early on in my, my hunting career. I was hunting with another woman and she put her gun down to, to put, to take something off on her layers. And I, and I said out loud, I was like to blame my husband because that's easier for me to say it. Uh, my husband always taught me that you're never supposed to let the gun out of your hands because you never know when a dog will walk by. And yep. And that's happened. And just as I said that the dog hit her gun oh my God. and I'm like, yeah, that is exactly why. And so um, you can't take, you know, you can't take back the shot that goes out of your gun. And so I always show people I'm empty and I want to see their empty guns too, as well. So I love that. I think that's a wonderful culture. That's the kind of hunting culture I want to be a part of. And the kind that I want to propagate, I guess is the word. Um, I I love that. I think that's great. You can never be too safe. Safety is first. So I agree. Well, this has been an amazing episode. Um, I would, I think we need to transition now to our weekly closer, which we call hits and misses. Um, okay. so 
we just do kind of a round table. What have you been aiming for and how did it go? You know, my biggest aim is to help educate people so that they don't experience some of my challenges that I did early on. And I hope to educate them so that they can have really good experiences in the beginning so that it makes them coming back or wanting to come back for more. Well, I would say this episode, I think, is a great um You've definitely done that in this episode. And one other thing that we haven't talked about, but we'll absolutely link to in the show notes is your YouTube channel. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's another, I think, another wonderful way that you, you know, the, like we said, natural born teacher, um, that you share some of your experiences. I think they could be super helpful to anyone out there that's interested. Well, um, who's interested in getting a gun dog started yeah. and a journey for their gun dog. And it follows my husband's um, retriever training book. So um, like I told you, it's not going to win awards for uh, the videos, um, but it's raw. It's real. I've fallen in the water, introducing my puppy to the water you know, Tom, Tom loves to commentate in some of these videos and it makes for fun and, and it's, it's, it's nothing serious, but it's, it's all of the training that you start when you get an eight week old puppy. So now it's on video. So everybody um, can watch and you're right. My whole goal is to ed help educate people. So they want to work with their dog. We want people to work with their dog so that they can provide their dog with the training it needs, if it's going to become a gun dog, or even if it's going to become an obedience dog too. Mm -hmm. yeah. So thank you for mentioning that. Yes. Tina Dockin unleashed. I'm the unleashed version and not an official dog trainer. I know enough to be dangerous because I work with my train with my husband every day, but my husband is definitely the dog trainer. So I have the advantage of having wonderfully trained hunting dogs and I'm, I want to share that knowledge, and that's why I brought it to the YouTube channel with Gabby, the star of the show. Yeah, that's yeah. So everybody, head on over, check it out. Um, I would say lately, most recently, what I've been aiming for is um, navigating archery hunting with my daughter on my back, and we're not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I I have started shooting with her in the carrier on my back and that has been really eye-opening for me because the carrier I normally have her in is um it's a soft carrier, she's very close to my body. It's like she's very close to my center of gravity. Um but in order to get her hands out of range of like the cams or the string oh, yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. I have her in a structured carrier so she's up higher and basically farther off my back. Um, and so that really changes the way that I stand. And sure. I never, in shooting my bow, I have a level on my bow and I hardly ever look at it because anytime I do, it's level. Well, let me tell you what, <laughs> when, when I have different. her on my back, it is not level. I have to make a very conscious effort <laughs> because I'm leaning forward to compensate for her weight. So um, we're learning, we're figuring it out. And I think we're going to try to go after some squirrels, certainly before we head out during deer season. Well, you mentioned too, putting the earmuffs on. And I know my friend, Tiffany Lakoski, she went through the same thing with her bow and with duck hunting. She had those earmuffs on her child while we were, while we were duck hunting, she wasn't shooting. They were watching, but you know, bringing your children everywhere and getting, giving them that exposure is, is really a fun thing. So I'm glad that you're, you're learning how to do that with yours. Yeah. It's certainly learning how to do it. I'm, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of trial and error. Um, 
but that's one of the reasons that like archery hunting to me, I know my chances of getting something are quite slim because I'm not an experienced archery hunter and the range that I'm operating at, plus having a baby attached to me, there's going to be a lot of complications, <laughs> but, um, I feel much more comfortable with that than trying to navigate like, okay, I see a deer. Now I got to get her earmuffs on, get my rifle. Like it's a lot. So sure. we're going to give this a go and see how, see what happens. Good. Good. Well, that's exciting and you'll find a way to do it. Everybody does. Yep, absolutely. Well, Tina, thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation and I feel like I could talk to you for a few hours, but we're going to, we're going to try to keep it to our regular time frame. Um, but Thank you for being here and sharing your wisdom with us. Yes, it's, it's it's been very enjoyable. I've enjoyed talking with you. And yes, you're right. We could probably go on forever. But thank you for the opportunity to be on with you. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us this week on the Artemis Podcast. We hope you're having a great week. Until next time, be bold, stay curious, and get outside. <laughs>